Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest here today, Paul Langlois, the guitarist of the Tragically Hip. He's not necessarily a sport industry professional, but he's a big sport fan, and we're so honored to speak with him today. So, Paul, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. How are you doing oh. today? We're great. How are you? Yeah. Good. Well, good. When, yeah. Whenever we're interviewing uh, some someone we're such a huge fan of, we're we're definitely going to be in a good mood. So we're doing great. Thanks. Oh, great. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> For people that don't know the Tragic Hip, I know a lot of people obviously do, but for those who don't know, between 1996 to 2016, the Tragic Hip were the best-selling Canadian band in Canada and the fourth best-selling Canadian artist overall in Canada. And Paul, we're thinking of you know questions to ask you. How did the name of Tragic Hip come about? Um, well, we started in 1984 and um when there was a there was a little gig uh came up at uh, the kingston art association i think it was called it was just like a little room downtown uh needed a name didn't have a name um you know i'd been practicing a bit um and uh so there were a few names thrown around bed spring symphony was one um you know just didn't know and then uh someone i think Robbie or Gord Sinclair had seen this, uh, you know, the guy in the monkeys uh, with the toque, uh, Michael Naismith, he had this movie called Elephant Parts and it was all about just a bunch of skits and um, comedy. And um, one of the skits was this kid, you know, he's 20 years old and his parents are taking away the keys to the Volvo and, you know, you know they've decided they're not going to fund him anymore. And, so he makes a little TV commercial um, appealing for money for his foundation for the Tragically Hip. And so we just thought, oh, that's kind of a cool name. You know, I think a lot of people like it. A lot of people probably won't. And so, uh, yeah, we just stuck with that. And um, yeah, so long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, how would you describe kind of your career? Because you've been playing music for such a long time. How would, just, how would you describe it? Well, it was, um, you know, we had uh, we had a good little run, um, you know, 32 years. Um, it's quite the understatement. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were very uh, highly motivated, highly committed to uh, each other and to the band and to getting better at songwriting, getting better at playing. And, and I would say like the first you know, eight to 10 years, we were just in a van. We crossed the country many times, crossed the States many times, just in the van. And that was, we were young enough for that, but that was a grind. I mean, you know, you tour Canada and you play Winnipeg. Well, the next night you're playing Regina. So you got to get in the van at 2 a.m. and arrive in Regina, you know, generally eight or nine. You know, they're all seven, eight, nine hour drives up here. And uh, it gets that way in the States sometimes too, unless you're in the Northeast. So we just played constantly and um, we had some valleys and some tough times where, where, you know, cash was uh, scarce, but uh, we just kept doing it. And, and um, we kept thinking we can, we can do this. We can, um, we, we saw it in the, when, if we play a Thursday, Friday, Saturday in some joint, um, we knew that we could fill it by Saturday just by word of mouth. I mean, we had a, um, you know, a very dynamic singer 
and we very much tried to rock hard. So we were really felt like rock and roll band. Let's just turn on this room and this town, like whether it be Trenton or Kelowna or uh, wherever, just um, we went out and no one had heard of us. And then we started getting known and, and then we were able to get, you know, a um, couple records made and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And then, you know, the last 20 years, just very lucky. We've been on a tour bus or flying and, um, you know, timed with us, um, you know, not quite having the energy of a 22 year old. Um, you know, on the bus, you get you can get sleep, you know, you don't have to be the one driving. And um, and so but we just kept going. We, we remained committed and, and we just always wanted to um, get along. So uh, it, our biggest achievement is that, that we were friends all the way through. It's not like we didn't have problems, but if we had any problems, we talked it out just like a team needs to do, you know, and um but it's complicated, you know, because it's complicated between two people, let alone five. And um, we were just really committed to uh, and being nice to each other. You know, no one would ever say, oh, that's a brutal idea. You just, you know, we shared in the songwriting. And if an idea of yours didn't get played, well, no one would bring it up. And then you just kind of move on and try again. And um, so we were always nice to each other, too. But very lucky, you know, it, it was just a, a, a great career. One of the things, Paul, I love about sport music is that it brings people together. So, Paul, what have you been up to since your retirement of the group? And what are your kind of your plans for the future after the pandemic? Well, um, you know, that we, no one, especially Gord, was expecting that we would be stopping. Um, we all had pictured... And again, especially Gordy talked about it quite often, just like we're going to be doing this in our 70s. And, you know, it's we we can we're lucky enough that we have an audience and. And we really could have, um, but he got dealt uh, a shithead, if you'll excuse the expression. And, you know, um, he even was like, well, you guys will keep going with the singer. And I'm like, we're not going to keep going, Gord. He's like, no, no, you should keep going. You should get He's suggesting singers and. It's just like, no, it's not like we were together five years. We were together 32 years. We've done well enough that we can retire. Um, and uh, so the first couple of years after that, that was three Octobers ago. So October 2017 when he died. And, um, and uh, you know, the first couple of years, we were all kind of just in a fog, really. And we were, as far as our management goes, we were just kind of four brick walls, just like, we were kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And so, um, but gradually we got more motivated and, um, you know, our goal with the hip is not to play again, um, but we still have a studio and we have a lot of, we recorded a lot, like a lot. And uh, we have a lot of stuff that um, we recorded that didn't happen to make records or whatever. And um, so we're really trying to dig that stuff up and, um find things that people would like that we like and just organize it in general there's just so much of it and um so with uh with help from professional companies that do this kind of cataloging and uh organizing of your physical stuff digitizing all the music because the music lives on tape and that's just not gonna last so anyway uh so there's a lot going on band wise you know with with uh we got a 
a wine. We're coming out with a cider and a beer and, you know, just like things to little things to do, you know, just uh, so we meet, uh, I was saying previously, you know, about once a week on zoom and, and just, uh, you know, everyone updates each other on either things they found or, um, um, things that we're up to. And, uh, so yeah, because we have the studio is a really good thing too. You know, a lot of good music gets made out there and some of us are in and out sort of either producing or, um, or recording. So, um, yeah, I think that's the plan, really. You know, it, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll just take it kind of a year at a time. But um, but we're talking again. Really, a couple of years went by where we might talk once in a while, but everyone was just dealing with losing our best bud, and um, and so now it feels like. Uh, and his brother, his younger brother Pat, represents you know Gord's family, his their interests. So he's in on every meeting and. Um, He's a great guy that we know and love well. And um, so, yep, yeah, uh, just kind of keep chipping away. And then, you know, I might do another solo record. I've done two and it's been a long time. Like it was 2011, 2013. So it's been seven years. So I'm starting to think about that. It'll take me a while, <laughs> a long while. In due time. Everything, in due time, yeah. And everything no. happens in the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah no, that's, 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 really, that's really great to hear. Paul, thank you. Um, if you don't mind, I just want to say a couple uh, just kind of personal things is that um, for those, and I guess for most of you who don't know me, um, I'm actually from Kingston. Um, I uh, went to school here um, and I went to school actually with a lot of the HIPS uh, children. I even had the honor and privilege to uh, play in a band with uh, Rob Baker's son, Boris, as well as Rob Baker's uh, nephew as well, and uh, Johnny uh, Faye's nephew, I believe, Angus, Angus Faye. Um, yeah, we had a band. Um, I play guitar. Um, I've always been uh, really passionate about my my axe and the chops I can give on it. <laughs> um, cool. But uh, yeah, so Rob Baker was a mentor for that, which was great, but uh, it, really exciting. Um, but moreover, like, uh, you know, that, that's the great thing when you're, when you know this local band, you get the privilege, the honor and privilege to meet them. And better yet, they've, uh, they've been very, very kind and supportive um and actually i actually have right here uh this is uh, a greatest hits album from tragically hip your favorites and yeah. look at that i got oh you got yes i believe that uh oh sorry that is your signature right That's there paul me, yeah yeah yep. john yep my left hand and uh mm-hmm. robbie Left yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Gord Downey unfortunately was not present for this. Um, but still, um, it was still super exciting to um get us from the four of you. So thank you so much. I still have oh, treasure. Sure. This is still, you know, a genuine artifact in my household. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, uh, but back to like our interview. Um, thank you for giving me the floor there. Um <laughs> you, Paul, you're probably tired of hearing this this question or this type of question, but um what were some of your favorite songs to perform or record back in the day? Um, the, uh, whenever we, we recorded, especially the first five or six records, we, we played live. Uh, we were going for a take uh, where we all got it. And if you wanted to fix something, it was a bit difficult because it was, it was on two-inch tape and you got to cut the tape and you know it, it's uh, or you have to if you want to punch in basically we called it going underwater because our our tape machine 
uh, you couldn't get out, couldn't get back out from under the ice because it had a little glitch. So um, it was very important to get get the um, that all five of us get to take. And um, so there are certain songs like I don't know why "Bring It All Back" just popped into my head. Just that um, I you know I, I really enjoyed playing the Rockers, Hundredth Meridian. You know, even New Orleans is sinking. I mean, we wouldn't have, we would have stopped playing that if it was in any way boring. Because you know people wanted to hear it, of course, but. Um, if it was boring us, um, we wouldn't have been playing it and it never bored us, even though it's a simple, straightforward, it's just kind of when the, when the riffs kind of match up and when there's a bit intertwining, um, between all of us, um, it just made it more fun. I, I enjoyed playing songs with, uh, where I was singing backups. I enjoyed singing, uh, with Gord. So song like something on i always like playing uh from phantom power you know it's just i like that sort of uh you know edgy stuff so yeah but i enjoyed it all and, and if we ever get, we're getting a little tired of something we changed it up every night anyway just to keep ourselves interested and on our toes you know we we really wanted to be on top of our game perfect thank you yeah no i have a lot of um like uh, cherished songs uh, by the hip that I enjoy listening to and Jamie too. Um, kind of say that probably my favorites would probably be Wheat Kings, I think is my go-to mm -hmm. um, favorite song, both to listen to and to perform. Um, but other songs like Courage, I, I just love the meaning of Courage. Uh, Grace 2, that's a fun one. Uh, 50 Mission Cap, you gotta love that, especially if you're, if you're a Leaf fan, which I think we'll get to a little later on. Head by Century, My Music at Work. Uh, Cordelia, that's a fun song. Um, but one song actually, which might be, I think, my kind of favorite to listen to and honestly dance to, I'd say, um, is Highway Girl. That song is, uh, that song is obnoxiously catchy, if you ask me. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, well, I get, sorry, go ahead. That's good to hear. Uh, Highway Girl, we didn't, of all those songs, we didn't play Highway Girl or Cordelia that much. Um, not exactly sure why, but um, well, I Highway Girl was from your first EP, wasn't it? Yes, and that's yeah, that's probably why. So I guess it, I guess it kind of faded into oblivion a bit. Um, yeah, a with, bit. with 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 the emergence of all these other you know huge hits that uh, yeah, just yeah. trying to move forward. But uh, no, I agree with you, and and it, Highway Girl was always fun to play, and uh, same with Cordelia. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So I guess we should uh, kind of uh, move into the kind of sport um, uh, topic of discussion. Um, so, Paul, just what are just what are some of some sports and sports teams that you're personally a fan of? Well, I mean, um, you know, I watch I, I follow. So I I watch hockey and, um, you know, if there's a game on um, which in general in life pre-COVID uh, there is through the winter and um so i wouldn't say religiously but i definitely watch and i'm aware of the standings and really kind of the stats so i would really i keep myself up to date semi up to date in the, uh in the nba really because of the raptors kind of got me going and i do have a daughter that's pretty into the raptors and um so that's been fun the last couple of years i mean i watch golf uh, you know, majors at least, and, you know, tune in once in a while. Tennis, I watch every 
besides the French Open, but I watched the Australian. It's perfect timing in late January. You know, just get yourself through a couple of weeks of bad weather, and it's on all the time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like all sports. I golf a bit myself, and um, I curl a couple of days a week. So I I follow the Briar and uh, Tournament of Hearts and that kind of stuff. So in general, I'm I'm not obsessive about it, but um, I'm happy if something's coming on that is a sport I like to watch. And uh, do you have a favorite uh, favorite team? Or favorite I'm a Habs fan. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a Montreal fan. Yeah, sorry about your story there. <laughs> But I was uh, <laughs> when we were uh, chatting um, earlier. I was telling Vince that um, I was born and bred to hate the Leafs. Like my dad hated the Leafs, and you know, and and I just grew up that way. It's uh, like I was Habs only. But then my oldest daughter, whom you know, you um, Emma, became a Leafs fan when she was about seven or eight, and. Uh, like a big Leafs fan. And I was obviously on the road too much because I asked my wife, what is going on? Emma's a Leafs fan now? Anyway, uh, so I, they've really grown on me. And um, also when Doug Gilmore joined the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, now they're my second favorite team now. And, and when, when Dougie joined um, Leafs and then Kirk Muller was on the uh, Leafs, you know, it, that kind of sealed it that, okay, uh, if the Leafs are playing anyone but the Habs, I'm cheering for the Leafs. Well, thank you. Um, was it, was, did, did, I know, uh, Rob, Robbie and, uh, Gord, uh, Downey, like, uh, I know they're both, uh, Leaf supporters. Was it ever, um, uh, you know, were you guys ever at odds, uh, at all because of that or? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Robbie, um, definitely big Leafs fan. Uh, Gord loved Toronto, the city. He lived there. He decided to live there. You know, he moved up Well, I moved up with him in our mid twenties and um, he, but he was a Bruins fan through and through. Much oh, that's, much that's right. That's right. Actually. Yeah. Um, I know he showed support a lot of support for the Leafs, but yeah, I guess the Bruins were his first team. True. He was the same as me. Um, he would cheer for the Leafs if they were playing anyone, but the Bruins, but he was uh, a 10 times the amount of Bruins fan that I was a Habs fan. I mean, he and his brothers, uh, they, they bled uh, black and gold, you know, they're just, <laughs> they just um, watched every game. And yeah. um, so, you know, it was interesting, but Boston, Montreal had quite a history in the playoffs as we were growing up. So we had, uh, we had some incidences. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I honestly am thinking, wow, what would it be like to be a Habs fan playing in a band with a Leafs fan and a Bruins fan by your side <laughs> at all times? Yeah, that we seems were kind of intense. <laughs> yeah, we were all good about it though. And um yeah, you know, there was a period of time where we were playing these arenas during the hockey season. Um, so we were lucky enough to, you know, we'd have a night off because they're playing the arena tonight and then we're playing tomorrow. So we go to the game and you know, we knew a few people along the way, you know, when the Oilers were exciting with Gretzky and Messier and all those kind of days. And we were lucky enough to be sort of uh on the periphery, but, you know, play in the same venues and, um, you know, our music playing and some dressing rooms and that kind of thing. So we, we had a really good, uh, experience, hockey experience just in general, just being, um, lucky enough to see some games live. And, um, uh, it was always very positive and, and we, yeah, no one would get over the top 
pissed if you lost four to one to the other guy's favorite team. <laughs> On the subject of venues, Paul, do you have any great memories performing at CERN sporting venues, uh, performing your songs? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we were lucky enough to play Maple Leaf Gardens uh, three, four times. We played the Forum, which was just a beautiful, classy building. Um, we might have played there at least two times, maybe three. Like, And then they switched over to the ACC and the Bell Center. And uh, so we did play all the old barns. We were still playing the Saddle Dome because uh, they haven't built an arena yet in Calgary. But um, uh, it was cool to play the old barns and just be in, you know, growing up. Um, hockey fans and everything and just being in the place and you know, even even your dressing room is like the team dressing room and, um so uh just lucky across the board uh we played the Coliseum uh two or three times in, in Quebec and um so it, we never took it lightly we were always like this is cool loved it you know generally at times bring our rollerblades and play hockey in the concourse and that kind of thing so um we managed to really enjoy it so like sporting venues you know and then there was a couple of we opened for page and plant um on a tour in the mid 90s where they were playing um american arenas um you know some basketball some hockey and some were both and um so that was always good but but you know different from a club you know playing you know whatever Massey Hall or uh, the Fillmore in San Francisco, um, the Chicago Theater. I mean, these were great experiences too. Different, a little more intimate. So we had to learn how to. We had to learn how to play bigger places, but literally within one tour, we would be playing, you know, three, five, seven hundred seat club, thousand seat club, arena, two nights, then back down to Seattle for you know, a thousand seat theater and really kept us on our toes, you know, because um, it's quite different to play an arena. You got to, um, it's almost like you can't over, overdo it. You know, you got to really kind of just stick to your, what you're doing. Uh, so anyway, yeah, um, it was all, but no particular favorites, but uh, really glad to have had the experiences. Was the preparation process different, Paul, between, preparing for performance in an arena compared to a club? Yeah, there were, there were practical differences. I mean, um, you know, some clubs you didn't really have a, an escape, uh, you know, from the dressing room to anywhere except right to the stage. And um, in an arena, you're afforded more places to go. Um, you know, we sound checked uh, every day as bands do. And, um, you know, so by the time, the, and usually we would sound check, uh, you know, probably three songs at least. Um, so by the time sound check ends, you've got a sense of what the venue is going to be like. Um, of course, people coming in makes a difference, but um, you sort of get a handle on that. So, yeah, I mean they're 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 different experiences. Arenas are it's tough to make them intimate, um, and it's tough to make them full if they're not full. You know, um, we were lucky enough that for the most part we had full arenas, and uh, full arenas way easier to work with than 
you know, kind of a, being in an opening slot uh, where only, you know, a quarter of the crowd is there when you're on. Um, you just got to stick to your guns in that scenario. And then when it's a full arena, you know, it's pretty, um, you can be pretty nervous, you know, and tell yourself, no, I'm not nervous. And, but your body is telling you, yes, you are, you're really nervous. And, and so that, but that always is nice, you know, nerves are, uh, it's a good sign. Now, again, luckily enough, um, we all had each other's back. I, I you know, we, we had a confidence um, in each other. Um, but it's still, uh, yeah, you're pretty, you're still pretty exposed, um, in certain places, the bigger the venue, the more kind of exposed you can feel. Someone told me, Paul, if you're nervous right before a performance or whatnot, it's because you really care. We we're speaking before, and I mentioned how I was a goaltender before on the early days of being a goaltender, I was always nervous because I thought, you know, Oh, if I let a goal in, it's, it's the worst thing in the world, but in retrospect, it's not. <laughs> so, yeah. no, I, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it does mean you care. And, um, yeah, fortunately in the hip, uh, it was, um, the nervousness was tempered by the fact that I'm looking over and I know Robbie's going to have a great gig. I know Gord Downey's going to have a great gig. Johnny is, you know, everyone, everyone is. So we, we're, we're practiced. We've been playing a lot. We know the songs. There's no problem. So this is a kind of sort of secret little talk you could have with yourself. If I do a solo gig and it's like Paul Langlois, I'm, I feel like a goalie. You know, I feel like, okay, this is brutal. Why did I ever agree to do this? And I dread it. And, um, and then once I get up there, I love it. And I like it, but I just can't convince the guy that's going on before or in the days before I got some gig coming up. Um, I just am really questioning, why did I ever say yes to this? Why am I doing it? And then I get up there. I love it. And I love it after. So um, it feels a little more goalie like there's a little, you know, goalie, it's just you and a solo act. It's just you. And, and that's a little more. Um, I prefer playing in the hip. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Paula, Mac, we ask, um, can you elaborate just a bit on some of the songs about uh, hockey, such as uh, 50 Mission Cap, uh, Fireworks, and uh, maybe Heaven is a Better Place Today, or at least songs that, you know, refer to hockey at some point? Yeah, well, those three, um, yeah, I remember all of them, um, with Gordon and I were living in Toronto at the time, um, and um, he found the Bill Barocco card. Um, it wasn't like he was super into hockey cards or anything, but he might've just got a couple packs on a whim or something. And, um, and then, you know, so he had this little story he wanted to base it on and um, like hook it up with, um, you know, a military sort of scenario. And um, yeah, it just paired up with uh, a heavy riff that we were, uh we had already and uh it just seemed to come together um heaven is a better place today you know um that's about dan snyder and um we had uh danny heatley we knew them somehow i forget how 
must have been through like a charity golf tournament or something. I forget. But anyway, it was tragic. And and um, I really like some of the imagery in there, you know, like at, uh, especially going into the end zone and acting like you've been there a um, hundred times before or whatever it is. I just always like that image. And uh, he was just, Gord was really writing about stuff he knew, like fireworks is just classic when we were kids. It's, it's basically the 72 series and we all had the big TVs that are on the big uh, thing. They brought them all in the class and everybody in Canada watched it. And Gordon and I would have been, uh, well, well, we were the same age. Um, so that was probably grade two, maybe, but yeah. totally sticks out. Totally remember it. And, um, you know, if, if um, there's a goal that everyone remembers, it was back in old 72. Yeah. And the whole participation, I think it was called whatever we used to compete for these medals in school, um, which is what the whole bridge is about the flexed arm hang and all these kind of, uh, so it's just, uh, you know, it's writing about um, what we know. And and that's the best way to write is is uh, three chords and the truth. Yeah, sorry, Dan Snyder, that, um, he was on the Thrashers when Heatley was on the Thrashers. But unfortunately, they um, he died in a car accident uh, with, well, Heatley, fortunately, um, sur- uh, recovered in full from that. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, I, believe, I believe it was Dan who passed from like sepsis or something. Yeah. Just, yeah, that's right. And okay. and we lived yeah. with his family, Dan's family. Um their Elmira is where uh they live on Elmira, Ontario. And um, uh, you know, they were very appreciative and Gord um, you know, was very good about it. And um and anyway, so uh and we would run into them here and there, uh his brother and um his parents and uh yeah, it was just uh it was tragic on unlucky and um and he was a glue guy you know which is kind of a hockey expression gord used gord knew way more about hockey than any of us but you know just a guy that was uh dan was you know that um you need him on there you don't necessarily notice um everything he's doing but um he's the glue that keeps you together uh thank you paul our last question for you is uh, as you mentioned gord downey when you and the rest of the band received the tragic news, how big of a challenge was it to cope with the circumstances, knowing that you'll be losing a partner in your band and a close friend? Yeah, it was uh, it was very tough. I, I mean, I've been lucky enough not to have a lot of loss in my life, but um, you know, we well, we knew it was coming. Uh, I lived with Gord for because our kids had gone to university. So I was able to move in with them for a bunch of months before our last tour. And um, that's really during the tour. It was when he was luckily enough at his best, but he wasn't, he was compromised. He had already had a couple of brain surgeries, bunch of chemo and radiation. And, um, but he managed to do that tour, which was just uh, very, very impressive. Um, was that especially challenging? Like um, having to focus on, you know, ending the band on a high note whilst also having this, um, um, this, uh, unfortunate circumstance. Yeah. Well, he, he really wanted to do it and he managed, we didn't know if we could do it. Like he really from the first practice, who knows? I mean, I was living with him at the time and it was just like with he and his brother. And it's like, I don't know if he's going to remember anything, 
um, and he didn't, and he didn't remember anything. So, you know, but he remembered melody. And if you put the lyrics in front of him, um, all of a sudden he could do it. So we, you know, I had to just go through songs and songs and pick ones that, um, that he could do well. And he also, of course, super ambitious. He wanted to do three or four songs from every one of our records every night, different every night. So it was basically, he wanted to make it the most ambitious tour ever. And fortunately he was taking this, um, uh, thing every two weeks, um, just an injection of, uh, it's called Avastin and it helps with um, certain kinds of brain cancer, glioblastoma, but you can only take four and what it does is stops the tour, tumor and it basically stopped it for two months growing during the tour. So, you know, by the, by the, we didn't know how it was going to go. I mean, we were well-practiced, more well-practiced than we've ever been on a tour um, beforehand going in who knew and then victoria went well that was the whole key just victoria needed to go well it was the first show and uh it doesn't go well then we're all we're all screwed and it went well and then it just kept going better and better it was 15 shows in 30 days so a night off and that was on purpose to get cord rested and and um yeah, we were just feeling good, confident as a band. And we didn't really, you know, we were even thinking after the Kingston show or leading up to it, um, you know, there was starting to be talk like, well, we never played Montreal or Halifax, you know, should we just keep going? Like we weren't really in the mindset that this is the final show ever. Um, but it went very well. And after the show, you know, we're backstage and and it had been it had been Gord probably more than anyone just talking about maybe go to Montreal, maybe down to the States. Um, he said that felt like the last show. And we all said, yeah, it did. So, you know, it was it was a it was a fitting ending, a very obviously unique. And um yeah, I mean it's it's tough, but he it was already gonna be tough just tougher losing him as a friend and it was tough on him he didn't like the thought of the band ending but you know we were able to kind of convince him listen we're gonna have stuff to do don't worry you know and and we're gonna you know we'll keep the studio going and um you know we'll just keep things going a bit but we're not singing we're not getting another singer and so he was at peace with that and then he managed to get a bunch done in the next year he lasted another year after that and he did a secret pass shows and he did um a couple of uh different records so um he just took it really well like he was so dignified and he wanted to work every single day and that was post tour too just uh, all his he just all he wanted to do is work and and so i feel happy for him in that sense um but yeah it it was really tough it's still tough yeah very sorry for, for your loss yeah Thanks. For me as well. And you just, I was watching videos, Paul, you know, preparing for this. And I saw, you know, a lot of the fans were crying and of those last shows. And he was just an inspiration to do that, you know, being the lead singer in his circumstances. To me, that's just, it was inspirational. I, I just thought, wow, like, talk about character. It, he had great character. Yeah, very strong character. And he, and he was, you know, it was hard to say, really. The crowd didn't know 
what to expect. I mean, after a few shows or in the, you know, we did Victoria and then a couple of nights in Vancouver, maybe word would spread a bit, but most of the people that coming out didn't know what to expect. It's like, they all knew, okay, he's been diagnosed and he's terminal. What's this going to be like? Could be very weird. And he always said, you know, when we laughed about it, he's like, I'm not going to be up there crying about it. You know, we're just going to play a rock show. We're going to play our show as good as we can. And that's all he wanted to do. But he would give a wave at the end, you know, and and that tells me he, he knew. Like he, you know, the encore and everything, he he'd go around just individually, and we'd we let him. We'd leave the stage, and he'd just kind of wave to everybody because, you know, Winnipeg, we played thirty times over the years, you know. So he 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 said goodbye to everybody too, which I I thought that's a nice touch, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, very strong character, very much. Hugh, is there anything else that you would like to ask? Um, no, just thank you so much for that, uh, no sentiment. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it still, it still grieves me to this day, but, uh, you know, like you were saying that I, I think, I think, uh, he couldn't have, um, you know, done a better job in that whole process. And, uh, like uh, the five of you couldn't have, uh, done a better job and been, you know, better friends. And, uh, yeah, I think you gave it your all. And, um, I think, uh, this legend is one to, you know, live on forever. Yeah, I think it's always going to be in our hearts and minds. So, well, thanks a lot, Hugh. Yeah, feel very lucky about that, you know. And I think we all feel it was a good way to, good way to go out if we had to go out. Of course, um, of course. Yeah. Well, and thanks for having me, guys. Paul, we can't thank you enough. One honor to this is to speak with you. And I know you already know Hugh, but um, it was nice meeting you in this conversation. And um, nothing but the best for you and your family. Like mm-hmm. this is our last episode of 2020, so it's a pretty special way to end off the year. All right, well, it's my honor, and uh, good luck getting through the COVID. Keep doing <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs>